you've been to church. Yeah. Oh, I need some of those rags. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's too slow right now, man. Hey, before we probably jump right in, um, if, if dancing to sin, we're in big trouble. Because um, that was fun, man. Uh, some, of you, some of you were dying to start really dancing. You were like, oh, can I dance in front of all these other people? Yeah, you can. You go in the back, whatever. No, I'm here embarrassed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, um, one, one quick thing here. Um, we have probably had the best giving, I don't know, probably have had the best giving year um, in the last four or five years. The church is doing really well. We're growing. Um, we've been able to impact a lot of lives. We've been able to touch a lot of people's lives. There are people in this church who still have their homes because of what you give. There are people around the world who can drink fresh water. There are people who haven't starved. There are people who are being educated. There are people uh, in our own community who are being fed um, and people around the world uh, who are in terrible circumstances, who we've lifted out of poverty and made a difference in their lives. And it's because of your giving. And I want to encourage you this morning. Um, I really want to encourage you. It's November, November, December, the biggest giving years of the day, months of the year for a church. I really want to encourage you to keep that going. I would love to build up a strong buffer for 2013 to allow our staff to do things they, they never had the opportunity to do before. To look at really, to look at 2013 and say, hey, we've got a lot of resources here that we can use. What are some things that we can do for our students? What are some things we can do in our children's ministry? What are things we can do in our men's and women's ministries and our, in our life groups uh, in missions, things that we've never been able to do before. So I really want to encourage you before you start writing checks to wherever, focus on your church first. We don't have an offering plate we pass around. No one can accuse me of being a money focused person. OK, the boxes are over here and over here. All I'm encouraging you to do as the body of Christ here at Grace Chapel is to focus on your church first. Okay, let's strengthen the body. Let's go into 2013 and do some amazing things because what I will share with you over the next three to four or five weeks in some ways is really going to, uh, I say, blow your mind. How's that? In some ways, it's really going to lift your spirits and inspire you to the possibilities of what we're able to do. What I share with you, what has happened in 2012 that many of you may not know, will inspire you and excite you for what we're capable of doing in 2013 and beyond. So I just wanted to say that this morning. I want to encourage you. Use the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you, focusing on the church, okay? Serving here, serving this body in this church and use the, the, the treasures that God has given you to allow us to, and the staff to move forward as the body and do some things that we've maybe never done before. Okay, we are in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. So as I go through this same person, okay, Tabitha and Dorcas. She was also doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed in place in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. 
Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room while the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. We're continuing our series, Touch One, by focusing on a woman who is an inspiration. She has inspired so many Here in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43, the Bible refers to her by the name Dorcas. Okay? Dorcas. Her Greek name is Dorcas. Dorcas means a gazelle. Now, when you think of a gazelle, most of us think of this beautiful creature leaping through the fields of Africa. You know, it's, you know, she's graceful. Dorcas basically means a gazelle, which means, which means graceful. But here's the deal. If you named your child Dorcas today, Okay, that's what I want to do. I'm inspired this summer. Name my kid Dorcas. Man, I want to do that. Because if you name your kid Dorcas today, I I think they'd have a little bit of a challenging life. Okay, no one would be thinking, oh, look at Dorcas. She or he or whatever is is so graceful. Okay, That's, that's probably not what would happen. You know, you could just walk around. Oh, my little Dorcas. You know what I mean? It's just there'd be problems in school. Okay, Greer, the last name Greer rhymes with different things. And it was hard enough for me. Don't name me Dorcas Greer. I'd have a real, it would just, I'd be really messed up. What I find amazing here, though, about Dorcas is that she was the first Greek woman mentioned in the New Testament. That is an honor. Think about that. You you put yourself back there. Dorcas is serving, you know, sowing and serving and giving and doing all these things. and, And she becomes the first person, the first woman Mentioned, the first Greek woman mentioned in the New Testament. I'm telling you, I'm sure, you know, now she knows because she's in heaven. But at that point, she didn't know that she was going to be the first person mentioned. But what an honor. What an absolute honor. She lived in the seaport city of Joppa. And Joppa was on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. So that's where she lived. That's where, that's where she, she hailed from. As I, as I read about this inspiring woman... I was captured by her passion for Jesus Christ and her love and concern for those in need. She was passionate about Jesus and that passion overflowed into the lives of others. She loved him so much. She she influenced so many other people by the way she treated them, by the way she she served them. I think Dorcas is an example not only to women because obviously she's a woman, but to all of us. She is someone who all of us can look up to, try to be like. Because for any family, for any church, for any school, for any business, for any culture to be healthy, you need people like Dorcas, selfless people, people who are willing to give of themselves to help those in need. My greatest goal for Grace Chapel is to be a healthy church, to be a healthy body, to focus my attention on a pastor's job. Biggest job is 
to, to feed people spiritual food and to protect people from spiritual harm. That's the senior pastor's ultimate job. A lot of things go along with that, but that's my job. And to try to keep the church healthy is the most important thing. You cannot be a healthy body, church. You cannot be a healthy company. You cannot be a healthy country if you don't have people like Dorcas who are focusing on other people who are focusing on the needs of others, who, is self, who are people who are selfless. The Bible calls her a disciple in Acts chapter 9 in verse 36. It was through Philip, through Philip that a church had been established in the port city of Joppa. So, so Dorcas was most likely a person who had given her life to Christ through that ministry. Paul would call Dorcas a letter, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Paul would say she's a letter, Philip's letter. She's out there in the community giving of herself, serving, sacrificing. The people in the community recognized it. She was a letter. And there was nothing lazy about Dorcas. Not a thing. As soon as she gave her life to Jesus Christ, as soon as she got saved, she thought of ways to serve her Lord with her resources, her financial resources, and also her gifts with her sewing. So she had resources, she used that, she also took whatever she was given, which was her sewing ability, and she used it to impact the lives of other people. She made her ministry, she made it her ministry to serve the widows and orphans in her community. She made it, she made it her ministry to make life easier for widows in her town. She said to herself, you know, how can I serve Jesus? How can I serve my Lord for all he's done for me? And she probably looked around and saw widows and they were starving and their kids are huddled around them. They don't have anything. They have no food. Maybe they don't have any water and they're, they're being shunned by others. And Dorcas came and said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my ministry is to make life a little more simple, a little easier for these poor widows. You know, we talk about widows. Uh, the, the first time I went to, to Africa, I really understood what the Bible was talking about when it talked about widows. Because in Africa, in Nigeria, if your husband dies, your husband family can come in and take all of your stuff. They can even take your kids if they want to. They have that right. Widows are sometimes left absolutely destitute. No one to defend them. No one to take care of them. So Tabitha or Dorcas saw this and said, this is going to be my ministry. And Acts chapter nine, verse 36, it says that Dorcas was always doing good and helping the poor. What a great thing to say about someone. And the only way someone could write that was always doing good and taking care of the poor, the only way you'd say that is if it was so, so well known to everyone around her. That's the way she's described. When people see her, when they saw her, you'd say, well, tell me about this Dorcas lady. And you'd say, well, Dorcas, you know, not a really snappy name, but I'll tell you what, you know. Um, She, boy, she sews and she gives and she sacrifices. And man, she's one of the best people in our community. She's always thinking about other people. She was always doing good and helping the poor. You know, it's so encouraging to know that God uses all types of people. Isn't it? I mean, it is for me. It is so good. It is so encouraging to know that God uses all types of people. It's also exciting to know that he takes what a person is and has, and he uses it for his glory. He takes what a person, who a person is, 
And he takes what they have and he uses it for their glory, for his glory. I mean, you know, as a person coming out of a difficult background, maybe you've come from a difficult background and maybe you're a little younger and you're thinking, well, how is God ever going to use me, Dorcas? It is so good to know that I don't have to be what the world wants me to be. I don't have to live up to someone else's expectations. I don't have to rise to a certain level to know I can be used of God. God is going to use me and the person that I am and what I have for his glory. So many Christians talk and complain about what they're not and what they don't have. If I could only sing like Matt, if I could only speak like that person, or if I could only teach like this person, if I could only play like this, if I could only, I could only do that, then God would use me as well. They're talking about what they don't have. They think if they they could just do these other things, God would use them in in an even greater way. And so we become discouraged because we're not like the other person. We're not like this person. We're not like that person. But God never asks more than who we are. He never asks more from us than who we are or to give him more than what we have. God wants to use you where you are and he'll keep strengthening you. He'll keep lifting you up. He'll, he'll, he'll make you stronger, but he'll use you as you are and help you become a stronger person. Instead of worrying about what we don't have, The secret is giving him all that we are. Instead of wallowing and worrying and complaining and whatever else Satan does in your mind about what you don't have and where you're not, the secret is to give God what you have right now. All of yourself. He wants you. He designed you. He created you. To live at this time in history... And we talk, we've talked about this already. You're not the only one who needs you to believe that. Why? There are other people in the world that God designed you to help, that God designed you to influence, that God designed you to care for, to show mercy to, kindness, compassion. God designed you that way. You are not the only person who needs you to understand that. And to live up to all that he's created you to be. He's given some of you amazing talents. And some people maybe are, quote, less talented. But you know what? I think Dorcas would be on the list of what we would consider less talented. And she's the first woman, Greek woman mentioned in the New Testament. Why? Because this is what God cares about. People who give all that they are, all that they have. And this is where this false teaching of secular sacred comes in once again. And I'm going to keep bringing it up until the people in this church are so saturated with it that when someone tries to tell them otherwise, it doesn't even sink in. You don't even, it's like, whatever. That worldview is completely wrong. But this whole idea, this Platonic worldview, Plato, of secular sacred is completely wrong. And here's how it influences us. Here's what it does. Think about it. If we can only use, if we can only use some gifts and some talents and some, and some abilities on certain days like Sunday, 
then we are robbing God of his glory and we are robbing others of what we could be doing in their lives. If there's only certain gifts and certain talents and certain abilities that we're allowed to use in the church, because, of course, only singers and, and, and speakers and teachers and Sunday school classes and small group leaders, that's the only thing you can do in a church. You can't do anything else because once you leave here, it's, all those other things are secular. So we, don't, we, can't, we can't use them. And, of course, we can only do it on Sunday for an hour and a half and... And see what happens here? God gets what God has designed, what God has given is stolen from him. It's taken from him and it's taken from those who desperately need it. I want to show you, Matt was the guy who just sang, I want to show you something that Matt put together, something that, how, that Matt used to further the kingdom of God. Um, why don't you run it right now? Never been to a new to you thrift store? You don't know what you're missing. Located right off 42 in downtown Mason on the campus of Grace Chapel, you can find everything you need at New to You. Whether it's a pair of jeans, books, furniture, or a replacement plate for your favorite dinnerware set, New to You has it all. And the great part of shopping power stores is that not only will you find that one-of-a-kind item, you'll save lots of money. And being part of self-sustaining enterprises, your purchases and donations will support local charities as well as impact the lives of at-risk children around the world. New to You Thrift Store also provides many opportunities for volunteers to participate. From hanging and tagging clothing to sorting and stocking shelves, our volunteers find working at New to You a rewarding experience. New to You, serving locally, giving globally. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A few months ago, Matt, Matt's been coming here for a while, and Matt says, you know what? He, he, he was listening to one of the sermons, and he, said, he emailed me and said, you know what, Jeff? I want to be able to use in a greater way. He's used his gifts before, but I want to use in an even greater way my gifts to glorify God, to impact the lives of others. And so use me as you will. And we made this video, and it didn't cost us a penny. And you know what's amazing? Our band that plays up here, one of the most talented bands Anywhere, I don't care how big the church is. One of the most talented bands anywhere. These people are dangerous, okay? They are the band for this show called Cincinnati. It's on Fox, and it's on uh, Sundays. And this commercial will be running uh, tonight for the first time. Then we're going to talk to people at Time Warner Cable and run it also in our local area. And, and it's just amazing how God, has used, how God has used the people in this church. Our band is the band for this show called Cincinnati. I think it's on later at night. And... Um, and what they're doing is they're, they're going to let us run this commercial for free because we allow them to use one of our, our soundboards. And being the horse trader that I am, I said, hey, if you use our soundboard, maybe you can show our commercial for free. So Matt makes the commercial for free. They show the commercial for free. God is glorified and children's lives are changed because Matt understands, Matt understands that, that if we get more people in New to Youth Thrift Store and they spend more money, that goes on the bottom line and helps children around the world. And notice something else. Notice something else. All the people that were in that video, some of you, oh, I know that person, I know that person. Of course you do, because there were people that were using their gifts and abilities and talents within the church, in the arts, to do the acting in that, in that video. We also have people from CCCT, our impact group, our drama impact group. They were there as well. So God is using all the gifts and talents and ability of the church. God can use people in the arts beyond singing, just so you know. 
And the church needs to take back what belongs to God. The arts belong to God. Where do you think people get those gifts, talents, and abilities? They come from God. And Christians are starting to realize, I can use all the gifts, all the talents, all the abilities, all the treasures that I have to glorify God and further his kingdom. Whether it's in marketing or branding or whatever it is, we can use it to glorify God. Because here's the bottom line. The more we make it new to you, the more impact we will have on the lives of widows and orphans around the world. I want to encourage some of you. I had a few people in the first service say that they want to be a part of it. We need about 20 people who will serve over it new to you on a regular basis, maybe one day a week. If we have about 25 or 30 hours of volunteers in new to you, we'd make probably 1500 to $2,000 more, bottom line, in a week. Do you know what $2,000 can do in a lives of widows and orphans around the world? When a sewing machine costs $75 and you can give a, a widow in India a sewing machine and she can take care of her entire family? This is, this is why we're doing what we're doing. We don't like to start business trees just because it was a fun thing to do. We want to impact the lives of other people. And the people who work at these business trees, their lives are being changed. They're being transformed. You see how this works? It's, it's not secular sacred. Everything belongs to God. It all belongs to him. And we shouldn't give the enemy any ground that doesn't belong to him. We should take it back. Redeem it. It belongs to God. So if you have gifts, talents, and abilities, you should use them to the glory of God. All too often, God's influence is relegated to certain days, certain times, certain activities. And that's the only time you can, you can use your things for God. Let me tell you something. God can use a landscaper as much as he can use a singer. God can use someone who's an engineer as much as a teacher. There are so many things that we can do, so many ways that we can use your gifts, talents, and abilities to impact the world for Jesus Christ. There's nothing you do that we can't use within the body of Christ to further the kingdom of God. Church, for most people, has become irrelevant to their everyday lives and decisions and activities. We've seen that recently. It's become irrelevant to their everyday lives and their everyday decisions because they've separated all. This is the church and the church functions here and everything else functions here. This is sacred and this is secular. And my decisions, I don't really have to consult what the word of God says. I don't have a biblical worldview. I just kind of take on whatever's around me. That affects people. So they think, people out in the world think church is basically irrelevant to their decisions, to what they're going through in their lives. And that's completely wrong. And I'm going to keep pushing this and keep pushing it until we own it, until it saturates us. Let me share a story with you that will help you understand how Grace Chapel, this church in downtown Mason, is having an impact on the world around it. Let me, I, I think this story illustrate, will illustrate how we're making a difference and the way that we're shoving away this idea of secular from our vocabulary. There was a young woman, her name is Rachel, and she was in high school. And she came with us on a missions trip about eight years ago or so. I can't remember exactly what year it was. And on that missions trip, we were talking about how we could use some technology that a Christian from Nigeria had invented. It was basically transfer paper and how you can transfer um, this transfer ink into 100% cotton, which was impossible according to scientists. If you go back 10 years or even eight years, they would say transferring ink into 100% cotton is impossible because the cotton molecules are smaller than the ink molecules and they won't receive it and blah, 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 blah. This guy figured out how to do it. We were friends. 
So we sat down with the high school student. I just started sharing about, you know, how God was working and what we could possibly do. And those high school students got together and they were planning and scheming and they came up with a name of a company, Specialty. They set up a business. When we got back from Mexico, they went into the thrift store in one little area and they set up a small business and started selling T-shirts. That business is now across the street over here. Now, so Rachel then graduates and she goes to college. And she meets Aaron. And Aaron and Rachel, they, they kind of have the same mind. They're both entrepreneurial. They have business minds. And, and uh, they get closer and uh, they begin to really like each other. And, uh, you know, they just kind of figure things out. And so college is now over. And Rachel's not really sure, you know, how is this going to work out? Well, Aaron starts coming to Grace Chapel. Aaron is an incredible young entrepreneur. I mean, absolutely incredible young man heart of gold, heart of giving, sacrificing. He, com- he comes to Grace Chapel, and through the ministry here, he gives his life to Jesus Christ, which was not very easy, seeing that Aaron has a Jewish background. And Aaron's, um, one of Aaron's cousins is one of the top uh, rabbis in Russia, one of the most influential rabbis in Russia. So, you, you know, some of you come to Christ, well, you have a, you, you grew up in a, quote, Christian home because you were uh, Protestant or whatever. It sometimes it's more difficult when you come from a different background. And he came to Christ through this ministry. We, we, he and I connected very closely because of our, our entrepreneurial thought processes. And so it was easy to get along with him even before he was a, a believer in Christ. Aaron's in his office, and, you know, we're all, we're all well-known in different areas and different genres and everything. Well, Aaron's very well-known in one, one in, the, in the marketplace ministry or the um, entrepreneurial genre. And two young men, Austin and Danny, one day called him. They were, at that point, 19 and 17. And they said to him, hey, we saw you in a magazine, and, and we, we were wondering if you could help us out. They live right in the area. Wonder if you could help us out. We invented this really cool thing. It's his clothing line, and, and we put it together, and, but we don't know how to, how, how to patent it. We don't know how to get a patent for this, and we're afraid to go out and show it to anybody because they're going to take it and steal it. So can you help us with this? Aaron's response is not classic because I don't think anyone's ever responded this way in a Christian setting that I know of. He said, hey, that's not really my area of expertise, but why don't you come to my church and talk to my pastor? I really think our church could help you. Is this sinking in? Someone would, an entrepreneur, would invite someone to church because the church has the ability to help someone get a patent on something they invented. What we did was we said, hey, we have a patent attorney in the church. We connected them with a patent attorney. Now they have a patent pending. They've gone to China for manufacturing, and they set up an online store. So a 19 and 17-year-old didn't know which direction to go. Someone comes to Christ through Grace Chapel, tells the person, hey, I think the pastor in our church can help you with the gifts that we have there. And now they have a patent pending and they have manufacturing in China. And these two young men are now 20 and 18 and they started a a business. Who knows where it will go? But I'll tell you what they're going to do if it's successful. They're going to invest back into the lives of those in need. You see how that this is what the church should be. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world says the church should be. What I just described to you is what the church should be. Why should we give over to the enemy what doesn't belong to him? 
Why should we cower? Why should we only use all of the things that God has given us outside? Do you really think that God gave you your abilities to make money, to just give it to yourself, okay, and just focus on yourself? Do you really think he gave you, he gave you those abilities to hoard all that money for yourself and not use it to impact the lives of others? I don't care if you give it here at Grace Chapel, all that money. What I'm saying is God has given each one of us those gifts and abilities to glorify him. We should not be using them just in the world. We should not be pushed back. We should take back what belongs to God. If it's not sinful, it's what? Amen. Exactly. And belongs to him. God is using our church to impact the lives of so many people. God wants to use every area of your life, every gift, every talent, every ability to touch lives, to touch lives. And it doesn't matter how insignificant you may think those gifts and talents and abilities are. It doesn't matter. Remember, remember what Jesus said about the widow and the widow's might? All these guys with all this stuff came, jingle, 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 pour. It's like they poured the money in like this. So everybody go, what is all that noise? Oh, there he is over there giving all his money. And they're all watching. And a widow came up with a widow's mind, just, a, the, I mean, less than a penny. And she puts it in. Jesus says, that's how I want you to live. That, that, there's the example I want you to follow. He took a widow with a widow's might and he said, that's the example I want you to follow because it was her heart. She gave everything that she had of herself. She gave it all and trusted God with her life. I love the story about the, the, the little boy when Jesus and the disciples, Jesus is, is speaking and there's over 5,000 people there and Jesus is in, in there and he says, they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, hey, hey, it's getting late. Uh, you got to send these people away, man. They got to get something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. Andrew was the only one who realized at that point, Jesus is not going to tell me to do something. He's not going to give me the ability to do. So he goes and finds a little boy, and this little boy, a little boy with a little basket, a little basket lunch, walks up to Jesus with the loaves and the fishes, and he gives his little lunch to Jesus. And Jesus takes that little lunch and has a feast for 5,000 people, over 5,000 people, and there was plenty left over. You see, God loves to use little little people. He loves to use little boys and little girls. He loves to use people that no one else expects to do anything. He loves to use orphans. He loves to use widows. He loves to use people like you and me to impact the lives of others. Why? Because when we do, he receives the glory. God receives the glory. He gets the glory. He can take your might. He can take whatever you have and he can use it to glorify himself. That widow's might, he had the same, when he said, be like her, it's the same thing with our talents. It doesn't matter if you think, whatever, how insignificant you think your talent may be. God can use it. You know, we, I've always loved the story of that, that, that boy because it says so much about, you know, I think we can, we can say it in our own lives. We can apply it to our own lives. Some of us think, you know, I've come from such a difficult background and, um, you know, I've been so belittled in my life and you have so little self-esteem. And all throughout the Bible, you've got guys like David, okay, Gideon. I mean, I go on and on and on that God has raised up and used in powerful, powerful ways and don't you think you're any different? God wants to use you. He wants to use you as well. He wants to use me as well. See, God is less concerned about our abilities 
And he's more concerned about our availability. He's, more, he's less concerned about your ability, and he's way more concerned about your availability. Are you going to make yourself available? This morning we're talking about a woman who used what she had, a needle. She, she gave up what she had. She used the gifts and talents and abilities she had, and she had a needle. And in doing so, she embroidered herself into the history of the word of God. I mean, how amazing is that? She embroidered her name. She embroidered her name in history. She became, she became a living example of James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. She lived that out. She lived that out. I, it's absolutely amazing the way this woman lived her life. Then it says, with no explanation, it basically says that Dorcas died. She died. It's like, what? Right? It's like right in the beginning. And Dorcas did all these things and shrouded them, and then she died. It was a shock to her church. She had touched their lives in such a powerful way and left such a distinguishable mark for God. It was, it was really overwhelming for them. And she left this life in one of the most most productive times of her life. It didn't say, and Dorcas served for years and years, and then she got old, and then she passed, you know, and everybody was sad. No, she left this world at one of the most productive times of her life. She was serving. She was giving. She may have been, you think about it, she may have been sowing something for, 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 for a needy person and died right in the act of kindness. I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to go out, right? I, I want to I be doing something I love to do and just go, boom. You know what I mean? I just want to, right there. I want to be serving. I want to be giving. I want to be doing something and just die in the act of something I love to do. And that's probably what happened to her. What I found interesting here was, though, how the body of Christ responded to her death. A couple of things. First, the women get together and they wash the body. And then it says they put it in an upstairs room. Well, there's, there's certain ways you do this, Okay. And the reason they put it in an upstairs room is because they were going to delay the burial. That's not normal. They were going to delay the burial. I'll tell you why in a second. See, these people were so, so connected to her emotionally. They were not willing to give up. They were not willing to just let go. So it says next two men ran to get Peter. And when they found him, they said, come at once. Come at once. Now, the first time you read this, you're thinking, why? She's already dead. I mean, she's dead. So what, what's, what's this? Come at once, explanation point. You know what I mean? It's like, what, 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 what's the big rush? She's dead. See, but their love for her, their love for her, and their faith in Jesus Christ is what drove them. It drove them. They weren't running, hey, run and get Peter because none of us know how to do a funeral. We're at a loss. Who's going to do the graveside thing? I have no idea. What words do you say? I'm not, get Peter. He must know. Peter will know it all. Get, go get. They weren't going to get Peter to do a funeral. They were going to get Peter to do a resurrection. Their love for her and their faith in Jesus Christ drove them. After she was raised, it says, Peter says this, he says, Tabitha arise, and she arose in Acts chapter 9 and verse 40. And after she was raised, it says, a revival broke out in, the, in, the, in Joppa. And people were here. Imagine that. You know, she's dead. Everyone kind of knew who she was. She was a person helping in the community. She was that person everybody kind of saw. And then she dies, and then she's raised. And people were coming to Christ one after another because of her life. But that 
that is not, you know, in a sermon, you think, yes, see, it, it, she did all these things, and then people, and we got a lot of people who come into church, and they got saved. That's not the direction I'm going to go here, because something else struck me that I think is more important. It says this. Then, she called for, then he called for the believers, especially the widows. Why would he, why would it say that? Why would it say? It's because Dorcas impacted the lives of those around her. In, Dorcas touched people's lives. That was the main story here. She touched people's lives. She, listen, this woman did not end world hunger. Sometimes we think if we don't do something so dramatic that our lives aren't worth living, that we just didn't achieve all that God has for us. She didn't end world hunger. She didn't cure cancer. She invested in the lives of orphans and widows. She invested in people who couldn't defend themselves. And the, the sermon title is, Are You a Dorcas? So I'm going to ask you, are you a Dorcas? Are you a Dorcas? I want everyone to say in the count of three, I am a Dorcas. I want you to mean it, okay? See, yeah, yeah you're going to say it too. I, and I'm gonna, I, I can't really see very well on my glasses, but I, I'm going to hear it, okay? So on the count of three, I am a Dorcas. One, two, three. I am a Dorcas. All right, that was good. One more time. I am a Dorcas. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a Dorcas. Say it. Now turn back to that person and says, takes one to know one, brother. I am a Dorcas. What are, I mean, you call me a Dorcas, then in the future I'm just going to smile and say, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Someone said to me, why don't you say, you know, are you a Tabitha? I said, that's not a good sermon title, are you a Tabitha? Are you a Dorcas? It's much funnier, don't you think? <laughs> that's why I named that. No, Dorcas, I, that's the way, that's the, are, am I a Dorcas? Is that the way I live my life? When people see me, is that what they say? Is that, is that how I want to be remembered? Remember what David Mead said last week? He said, he, asked, you know, you need, he said, you need to leak Jesus. You need to leak Jesus. Dorcas leaked Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being a letter. Dorcas was a letter to her community. She was a letter. She walked around, letter written all over, and squishy, 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 like he said last week. She was leaking Jesus. She was a letter. She was it. That's why I want to be a Dorcas. That's why you should want to be a Dorcas. Not that you want to name your child that, but that's why we should all want to be Dorcases. Because of the way she lived her life. She leaked Jesus. She was a letter. She gave of herself. I remember Deb's grandmother telling me a story years ago, probably, gosh, 25 years ago or more. Next to Debbie's grandparents, nice neighborhood in New Jersey, you know, that you can just picture those huge trees and those nice white houses, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful area. There was a young mom, and she had three children, and without any prior warning, her husband died. I mean, it wasn't like he, he had cancer or he was going through a debilitating disease and then he passed, he just, he died. And all of a sudden, this woman was left without a husband. It was devastating to her. She was overwhelmed. She was completely heartbroken. She didn't know what to do. What is she going to do now? Three small children. What, what am I going to do? And in that pain and that anguish, the day of the funeral came. There was another woman who lived on the other side of her grandparents, and these all, they all knew each other. And she was a widow. She was an older widow. And she came 
the morning of the funeral. And she walked over to that young mom's house and she knocked on the door. And when that other younger mom opened the door, she said, can I come in? I would like to do something for you. And she came in and she, she asked the younger mother, where are your children's shoes that they're going to be wearing today? I'd like to have their shoes. And she got out the shoes that they were going to be wearing and the older widow went over to another part of the house, sat down on the couch and began to polish all the children's shoes, getting them cleaned off and polishing them, getting them ready for the funeral. A lot of people would say, big deal, she polished her shoes. But it was a big deal for an absolutely devastated mom who didn't need to be thinking about polishing her children's shoes on probably the most challenging day she'll ever have in her entire life. You see, life is all about touching other people's lives. It's about giving of yourself. We change the world one person at a time. You and I will change the world one person at a time. Dorcas understood that. She realized, I just need to touch one. I just need to touch one person's life and one more person and one more person and one more person and that'll change the world. That will make all the difference in the world. I want you to bow your heads with me. If you would, why don't you stand first? Stand first. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together, and we thank you for the opportunity to just come into your presence, recognizing our flaws, recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing that some of us, Lord, don't feel so good about ourselves all the time, but realizing the truth that you created us for a specific purpose, to be like Dorcas, to be like Tabitha, a person who takes what she has, a simple sewing needle, and impacts the lives of people and is written in your book, has written her name in history because of her sacrifice. God, help us to be like her, to open up our hearts, to open up our minds, to open up our lives, to be used by you. And may you receive all the praise and all the glory for what you're going to do in and through us as individuals and as a church. We give you it now, Lord, before you even do it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.